0: Funding for this podcast comes from the members of Massachusetts Public Radio and the John A. and Maria L. Douglas Foundation, supporting investigative journalism on public radio stations across America and from listeners like you.
1: Mermaids of Murrow's Cove is a serial podcast. Please be sure to listen to the episodes in order. This is Episode 1, A Sea Creature. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes.
0: sound crazy, but I know what I saw.
2: God, Emma, you are always so stubborn. Based on your conversation with Alice, there may be an entire cover-up
3: conspiracy. We do not have a murderer among us. I was certain of that from the beginning. I'm happy to confirm that now.
4: Alice Crocker was found naked and barely alive in Sandy Point Beach. She was not the first, but the third woman in 30 years, found in similar circumstances, in the small New England town of Morose Cove. The police report indicates that she was unconscious and showed signs of malnourishment, but there were no signs of physical trauma or sexual abuse. Officer Mary Jacobs wrote in her report, her skin was milky blue. It seemed almost transparent, probably due to hyperthermia. There were no bruises or any other signs of violence.
0: She was not human. No matter what the doctor said, she was a sea creature. A mermaid. I, I know I sound crazy, but I know what I saw.
4: That is Meredith Matthews, the woman who found Alice the morning of October 2nd, 2017. Meredith is by no means the town's crazy lady. She is one of the many hardworking, God-fearing residents of Murrow's Cove. She's not the kind of person who would make up stories for the sake of attention.
0: Her skin was blue, and her body so thin. It, it seemed as if it was made out of seaweed. Her hair was the color of old, old brass. It was long, green, and abundant. No woman has hair like that. I tell you, she, she was a mermaid. I saw it with my own eyes.
4: My name is Emma Kersey. I was born and raised in Murrow's Cove. I'm a reporter with Massachusetts Public Radio, and I don't believe in the existence of mermaids. I do believe that three young women were starved to the brink of death and then dumped on the shores of my town. Three women suffered unbearable cruelty, and for reasons I can't understand, nobody wants to get justice for them. I created this podcast to discover who hurt them. You are listening to Mermaids of Murrow's Cove. I read about Alice Crocker in The Cove's Examiner. Mermaid found stranded on local beach, their front page read. The local paper is not known for its accurate reporting. They tend to exaggerate and sometimes straight up make up stories. People in town don't mind, though. They think the tales are a good distraction from their everyday routine. I no longer live in Murrow's Cove, I moved to Boston after graduating from college, but my mother mails me copies of the paper once a week so that I can keep up with the town's gossip. The Examiner, as expected, is not available online. The newspaper's owner, Bob Kersey, who also happens to be my dad, doesn't believe in the internet. His words, not mine. There was something in Alice Crocker's eyes that made me want to know her story. The picture showed a bony girl with deer-like green eyes and a frown of confusion. She was wearing a hospital gown, and behind her, I could see my pediatrician's old anti-tobacco poster. She was lost, disoriented, and scared. I knew that look. I had seen it on many victims before. Despite what the police were saying, Alice Crocker had suffered at the hands of a predator.
0: Hi, honey. Did you get the package? I did, Mom. Oh, good. I'm glad. I hope you like the scones I sent you. You know, to be honest, since Mrs. Lennox hired those foreigners.
4: Mom, I'm recording this conversation.
0: You're what? Why?
4: I'm investigating the story of Alice Crocker.
0: Who's Alice Crocker? The mermaid. Oh. So why are you recording me?
4: I'll record all conversations that I have with Morose Cove residents as part of the research. People
0: won't like that. You know how we are here. You know, we're old-fashioned.
4: And by old-fashioned, you mean a dad set in your ways and maybe a little bigoted?
0: Emma, don't call your mother names. Honey, please don't make people mad. You come and go. Your dad and I live here.
4: I won't piss anybody off. I promise.
0: Well, I don't think you'll find much of a story. She's probably another girl from that fancy college who got too drunk to remember where her panties were and ended up butt naked on the beach. But don't put that part in your show.
4: It's a podcast, Mom.
0: Yes, the pod thing. I don't want people to hear me saying but.
4: But don't you think it's weird that three women have been found half dead on the beach and nobody's looked into it?
0: Not really. The chief knows what he's doing. He's been a cop for a long time. So is his dad and his dad's dad. If he says there's nothing to look into, then there's nothing to look into. You don't believe the mermaid story, right? You're too old for that.
4: No, I don't. But I think somebody is hurting local girls.
0: That's nonsense,
4: sweetie. And they're not local.
0: But I'm happy you're coming, though. I'll let your Aunt Lois know. She's always asking about you. And your cousin Henry asked me for you at church, too. You know, he's so successful. He does something with computers.
4: Great, Mom. i got to let you go. All right. Love you, Emma. Sorry, Mom. The butt part made it in the show. I drove to Murrow's Cove the next morning. It was a warm fall day and I decided to take the scenic route. 50 miles of rocky coast hugged the path that leads to the old New England town. The view is breathtaking and frightening. As you drive, you can't help but wonder how many people have been distracted by the dark blue of the ocean and ended up driving off one of the many cliffs. I don't play music or listen to the radio when I'm driving. Long drives give me a chance to let my thoughts wander and look for answers to the many questions swirling around in my head. I'm always full of questions. It used to drive my parents crazy. My producer John Murphy says that's a good thing. The questions, not the driving my parents crazy part. He says my curiosity makes me an annoying but good reporter. In the case of Alice Crocker, my main question was why, why nobody cares? Why no one thinks it's odd that women wash up on the shores of our town. Both of the previous cases had ended the same way. The women were declared insane and taken away to an undisclosed mental health facility. As soon as the ambulance left town, everybody forgot about it and life went on. I am not going to let that happen to Alice Crocker. She is not going to become one of the forgotten victims of Moreau's Cove. When I arrived in town, instead of heading to my parents, I drove to the local clinic where Alice was hospitalized. The day after Alice's arrival, Dr. Ananda confirmed the first report. Jane Doe, she was called that until she was able to speak again, was malnourished and suffered from hypothermia, but showed no signs of physical or sexual abuse.
5: She's physically healthy, but her head's a different matter. The woman suffers from severe PTSD, paranoia, and schizophrenia.
4: That was Dr. Oliver Ananda giving a press conference outside the clinic in front of three journalists. One of them was from Moreau's Cove High. Thanks to Waves 95.5 and Nick Johnson for letting us use their audio.
5: I'm not a psychiatrist, but I'm confident in my diagnosis. I googled the symptoms, you know.
4: Dr. Ananda is the only physician in Murrow's Cove. He was my pediatrician, my dad's cardiologist, and my mom's OBGYN. I know, it's a little weird and creepy, but not for this town. Murrow's Cove likes to keep its population small, and that means people wear more than one hat. Mrs. Lennox runs the local bakery and serves as the town clerk. My dad owns the newspaper and coaches baseball. Having just one job is frowned upon in Murrow's Cove. The town's population has barely increased in the last 200 years, and you can still trace back to the founders almost every family in town, including mine. Of course, there are newcomers, people who have married residents and move in, and a couple of immigrant workers who I think got lost on their way to Portland and ended up in Murrow's Cove. I'm not implying the residents are not welcoming. Hospitality is a well-regarded value in this town. The people of Murrow's Cove are friendly. They just don't encourage anyone to stick around. Ananda is one of those people whose lineage can be traced all the way back to the Founders. The old doctor is an institution, loved, respected, and unquestioned. Whatever Oliver Ananda says is considered an irrefutable truth. Ananda was the first person I interviewed when I arrived. You
5: look very healthy, Emma.
4: Thanks, doctor. I do try to take care of myself. I'm recording our conversation for my podcast. Is that okay? Sure.
5: What do I owe the pleasure? Why do you want to record our conversation?
4: Well, I'm writing a story about the girl that they found on the beach, Alice.
5: You should get a copy of my press conference. That's all the information we have so far.
4: I'll I'll do that. In the meantime, do you think I can speak to her?
5: I don't know if that's a good idea. She's not well. Besides, she's not saying much. Gibberish. As expected, she's very confused.
4: I still would like to talk to her.
5: I don't know, Emma. It's very irregular to let a reporter talk to a patient.
4: I'll be quick, and I promise I'll be very gentle. I won't press her on answering anything that might make her uncomfortable, I swear.
5: God, Emma, you are always so stubborn. I remember your mom asked me once if there were vitamins to calm you down.
4: <laughs> she did?
5: Oh, don't look so horrified. You are a lot to deal with. My guess is you still are. Besides, I didn't prescribe anything, just a lot of outdoors activity.
4: So that's why they pushed me so hard to join the track team?
5: Exhausted kids give fewer problems, (laughs) though you still manage to give plenty.
4: I smiled and let the good doctor tell a couple of more embarrassing stories that I won't be sharing with you because I would like to keep a little bit of my dignity. After 20 minutes down memory lane, he finally sent me on my way to meet Alice.
5: Don't upset her. Be nice, Emma, or I'll tell your parents. I'll tell Nurse Russo to take you there.
4: Dr. Ananda gave me a little plastic bottle full of gummy vitamins. He said he didn't like his patients leaving his office empty-handed. He's sweet that way. This way. Nurse Russo is a tall woman with broad shoulders and a small waist. Her face is round and her cheeks so rosy, you can't help but think she's the friendliest nurse you will ever encounter. But she's not. She frowns a lot, judges you with her eyebrows, and only speaks in short, brusque sentences. Her unfriendly demeanor is accentuated by the way she walks. Her back is always painfully straight, even when she's not in nurse uniform. She walks like she is leading the parade. When I was a teenager, the boys in my high school said she had a thing for initiating young men. I don't know if that was true or not. I don't wanna spread rumors. What I do know about her is that she never got married or had children. She still lives in her late parents' home and she has a small yappy dog that by now, I believe, is probably at least 20 years old. How's your brother? He's good. uh, Still attending Yale. He always was a (laughs) smarty-pants. Yeah, he is. This is her room. You've got 15 minutes.
0: She's not well. We don't want to get her anxious or overexcited. So don't upset her.
4: Alice's hospital room was small, but bright. There was only one bed where Alice was sitting, staring at the garden outside her window. The white walls were bare except for two old posters, one warning against the use of tobacco and the other against the use of drugs. Those posters must be as old as my parents. Alice was very small. Her frame was even frailer than the picture in the paper. Her face was angular, her hair was an odd greenish blonde, same as Meredith Matthews had described. Her voice was soft and her speech slow, as if she tasted every word before it left her mouth. There was something otherworldly about her, but it wasn't that she was a mythical creature, it was her beauty. Even in that moment of unhealthy fragility, she was beautiful. They are beautiful, aren't they? The flowers, so colorful. They are pretty. Who are you? My name is Emma Kersey. I'm a reporter with... I already spoke to the reporter. He was rude. He took a picture without asking. I'm sorry that happened to you, Alice. I'm from a different place, though. I have a podcast. It's like a radio show. I want to go home. Where is home? I want to leave this place. Is it okay if I sit on your bed, Alice? They will find me. Who will find you? They know I'm here. One of them came to warn me. Are are you talking about the men who took you? The other girls told me escaping was futile. There are other women? There are many of us. Some old, some young. You were held against your will? Where, Alice? I can't tell. If I tell, I will be punished. You won't. You're safe now, Alice. I promise. I'm not.
0: (laughs) Your time is up, young lady.
4: I asked if I could stay a little longer, but the nurse was adamant about me leaving. When she saw Alice's tears, her expression changed to pure anger. I left my business card with her out of nervous habit. She put it in her pocket without even looking at it. Alice's words sparked so many more questions, but also fear. She was scared. She didn't feel safe in the hospital. The doctor said it was all nonsense, but her fear was real. Alice knew a lot more than she led us to believe. She was too afraid to say anything. So? That's my producer, John Murphy. We've worked together for the last six years.
2: Does she have a tail?
4: No, she doesn't. She's not a mermaid.
2: Well, that's disappointing
4: sorry are you a mermaid fan
2: aren't we all
4: (laughs) guess we are Hmm.
2: anything interesting on your first day are you still staying for the week
4: i don't know i'm definitely spending the weekend here i haven't spent time with my parents in quite a while
2: that sounds good you know you'd probably want to stay until the girl is released or sent to another hospital
4: probably hey i want to ask you a favor sure Research any mermaid-related mythology in New England, especially anything connected to my town, if that's possible.
2: You said she was not a mermaid.
4: She's not, but I have a hunch. What if whoever kidnapped her thinks she is? I know it's a stretch, but she said something to me that got me thinking. What if her kidnapper brainwashed her or something? Well,
2: now that's assuming she was actually kidnapped.
4: Do you see any other logical explanation? She talked about other women being held against their will. She was kidnapped, I'm sure of that.
2: You know, your mom's theory makes sense too. Now, what if she's just a drunken girl who fell in the water and was traumatized by the experience?
4: Maybe, but would you still look into that for me?
2: Of course, Uh, give me a couple of days now.
4: You're the best. Sure I know. Okay, this is what I know so far. Alice was found naked and on the brink of death a week ago. She showed signs of hypothermia and malnourishment, which explains the blue skin and her fragile figure. The color of her hair can be explained by the interaction between salt water and the bleaching agent I'm guessing she applies to her hair. There were no indications that she had been the victim of a violent crime. For someone who almost died, she seemed to be recovering fast. Dr. Ananda thinks she has mental health issues, but I don't know if that's an accurate diagnosis. It's hard to put it into words. She seemed stunned, but not mentally ill. Emma? Henry, hi cousin. How you doing? Come here, give me a hug. My cousin Henry is a couple years older than me. He is a tall, skinny redhead with a friendly face and the longest and most transparent eyelashes I've ever seen. He was the funny cousin. He was also a little bit of a perv when he was a teenager, always trying to get a peek up girl skirts. Not me, of course. He wasn't totally a perv. Just a really horny kid. He'll kill me for saying this, but I'm annoyed at him. More on that later.
1: I heard you were going all Veronica Mars.
4: I didn't picture you as a marshmallow. What is that? Marshmallows are Veronica Mars fans.
1: Uh, no, I'm not. She was the only girl detective I could think of. Uh, I guess I could have said Nancy Drew.
4: But What about Olivia Benson?
1: I don't know who that is.
4: <laughs> Never mind.
1: Your record's still on.
4: Oh, sorry. I was taking notes. I'm playing my conversation with Henry because even though I didn't know at the time, we had not run into each other by chance. He was on a mission to find me. We'll talk about that later.
2: for you.
4: John, it's 6 a.m.
2: Sure, I know, I know, but I couldn't wait to tell you.
4: Well, you sound excited. What did you find?
2: Did you know that Merrow actually means mermaid in the old Irish?
4: Are you kidding me?
2: They didn't teach you the story of your own town in school.
4: Well, yeah, but mermaids never came up.
2: Weird. Well, the first thing I did was googling your town's name. The top result was the meaning of Merrow. Sure, I can't believe now you never googled your own town.
4: Why would I do that?
2: Never mind. Sure, after a couple of pages of the old Irish-English origin of the world, there was a well-known Irish folk story. Nothing too special. See, there was a guy called Patrick Fitzgerald. He met a mermaid, and didn't they fall in love? They had a child... Now, I'm assuming she grew legs and lady parts, (laughs) so the story is not really that clear on that. Well, anyways, she eventually wanted to return to the ocean, and he didn't let her. Now, one day, she sneaks out and leaves him broken-hearted and in charge of that mermaid baby.
4: (laughs) You're right. Very common story. Boy meets mermaid. They fall in love. Have a child. Sure. Why not? How does it connect to my investigation?
2: I couldn't find much more about this legend, except for a brief mention of it in an old reddit thread. You know, even though the thread had been inactive for a while, I asked if anybody had knew of any connection between the story and your town. Guess what?
4: Someone did.
2: Such an intuitive journalist!
4: Stop it. Go on.
2: Well, a dude who calls himself Merlord says he has documents that prove Patrick Fitzgerald was real, and he moved to the States with his teenage daughter once he realized his wife wasn't coming back.
4: John, there are probably many Patrick Fitzgeralds who moved to the States. It's not an uncommon name. That doesn't mean the guy from that story is one of them.
2: I know, I know. But Merlart says he has proof that this guy is THE Fitzgerald and he wants to meet with you. What? Uh he said he gives you the information if you would meet with him.
4: I admit the name of the town... Is a weird coincidence, but I'm not investigating an X-Files case. I'm investigating a serial kidnapper. Mm,
2: But what if he's your guy?
4: That would be too easy.
2: So you know now, criminals like to be connected to the investigation of their crimes. It makes them feel important. You know, he answered my questions within minutes. That's intriguing enough now for me.
4: So you want me to meet with a potential psychopath?
2: I'll be there. Now, you'll meet in a public place, and I will be sitting nearby. He doesn't know my face.
4: John's idea was ridiculous, but eventually, he convinced me. Murlord's quick response to John's question was curious. At the very least, it meant he was keeping an eye on the threat. He also knew where Murrow's Cove was because he lives a couple of towns over. What were the chances that the guy connecting my town to some old Irish folk story about mermaids lived in the area? John was right. I had to meet him to at least see if he came across as the kind of guy who kept women in his basement. We agreed to meet the next day at Dana's Diner. Dana's was my dad's favorite restaurant and the only diner in town. There was nothing special about it, besides the fact that after 60 years, Dana was still the cook. The food's not bad, but it isn't great either. The fact that my dad loved it so much is proof that he never traveled past the Welcome to Murrow's Cove sign. How close are you to town?
2: Close, I'd say another 20 minutes. I'd say now, are you ready for your interview with Merlard?
4: I think so. I'm mostly planning to listen to the guy's story and to get his vibe. We'll take it from there.
2: Uh, You want to see if he gives you a psycho vibe?
4: You could say that. Let's talk when you get here. I don't want you to fall off a cliff. I
2: took the highway. I can't deal with that death trap of a road you like to take. I'll see you soon.
4: My investigation was getting to X-Files, and I really wanted to be more SVU. So I decided it was time to talk to my old foe, Chief Delaney. The head of our small police department was not a real enemy. He was just not very fond of troublemakers and he considered me to be one. I don't have a criminal past. I just made the huge mistake of dating his son, Mark and giving him his first taste of alcohol. We were 16. My parents were at my aunt's house and I thought it would be romantic to have our pizza by candlelight while drinking beer from my dad's freezer. I know what you're thinking. And the answer is no. My sense of romance has not changed. I still think candles, pizza, and beer are very romantic. Long story short, Mark had little tolerance for alcohol. And after he had gone home, he got sick and puked beer and cheese pizza all over his parents' newly installed rug. Like a good son of a cop, he told the truth. Chief Delaney talked to my parents and I was grounded. Mark was forced to break up with me, which sucked because he was a great kisser. Maybe the best I've met so far. Chief Delaney, it's it's Emma Kersey.
3: I haven't forgotten you, Emma. Are you here to surrender? <laughs> no, I'm here to talk to you about Alice Crocker. Why? You recording this? That's illegal, you know.
4: Chief Delaney agreed to be interviewed with one condition. I would not look up his son, Mark, and if we were to run into each other, I would not accept going out with him. After ten years, he was still holding a grudge. I agreed, Mark was a good kisser, but not worth risking this story. Sorry, Mark. Don't take it personally.
3: What do you want to know?
4: What do you know about her so far?
3: Well, we know her name is Alice Crocker because she told us. She's not from around here or any of the surrounding towns. We've not been able to find any information about her. We've sent out a DNA request, but that's going to take another week. She said she doesn't remember anything. Amnesia, said Dr. Ananda. I say bullshit. Oh, sorry. You can cut that out. Sure. Anyways, we believe she's mentally ill, so if the DNA doesn't tell us who she is, we'll send her to a psychiatric hospital. They'll take it from there.
4: You're not opening an investigation to see what happened to her?
3: Look, she wasn't beaten or raped. She probably wandered through the woods without paying attention and fell into the ocean. There is nothing to investigate. This is not one of those TV shows, Miss Kersey.
4: If she's not from the area, how did she end up wandering in the woods? What if she was kidnapped, brought here against her will?
3: Good point. I think it's more likely that she's mentally ill. She probably escaped from the hospital, lost her clothing in the woods, and then wandered around until she fell in the water. As I said, nothing to investigate.
4: Well, I find it odd
3: that... Stop looking for trouble, Emma. You like trouble. There is nothing here. The poor girl is sick. We'll send her to a place where they can treat her. The hospital will probably have the resources to find her family. We are trying to do the best we can to help her. Now this interview is over.
4: I left the chief's office puzzled by his lack of interest in investigating further. There were so many loose ends. I was about to make a phone call when I saw Mark walking toward me with a big, bright smile. I had no intentions of meeting with him. The last thing I wanted to do was piss off the chief of police. Unfortunately, fate had different plans. As I was leaving the station, I ran into the handsome officer, Mark Delaney, reporting for duty. Mark had changed very little since the last time I saw him. He got taller and his muscles swelled up a couple inches, but his clean shaven face was still the face of the boy who asked me out on a piece of paper in the middle of math class. His smile was still charming. I'll tell you more about this reunion later. More relevant to this story is my disturbing meeting with Merlord.
2: Uh, I'll be here at the counter. He said he would recognize you from the picture on our website. Jesus, that's creepy. Under no circumstances now are you to leave this place with him. If I see you leaving, I'll stop you. Clear?
4: Clear. Merlord arrived right on time. He was older, probably mid-50s, He was wearing a black suit and shoes that made a loud noise every time they hit the floor. Even though the diner was buzzing with customers, the rhythmic ticking of his shoes was clear and unnerving. He was tall and stocky. His face was ghost white and his eyes had a shade of blue so clear that if you looked up at him too fast, it looked like he didn't have irises. I thought my mysterious mermaid aficionado friend would be a teenager wearing a baseball cap and a Game of Thrones t-shirt. I was not expecting a retired member of the Men in Black. He looked straight at me and walked toward my table. His expression was severe, almost angry. He bit his lip a couple of times as he was rehearsing one last time the speech he had prepared for me.
1: Emma, nice to meet you.
4: Nice to meet you too. You're not what I expected.
1: I never am.
4: Well, thank you for meeting with me. Do you mind if I record our conversation?
1: That's fine. It'll be short, anyway.
4: Okay, then. Um, you said you have historical documents that connect Patrick Fitzgerald to Murrow's Oh Uh, uh
1: that, 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 that's not why I'm here.
4: But you told my producer, John, that you... Uh,
1: I, I know what I said to him, and by the way, there's no reason for him to play guard dog. I am not here to hurt you. I'm here to warn you. Warn me? Forget about Alice Crocker. Move on. Find another story. You will make the wrong people angry.
4: What are you talking about? The people who kidnapped Alice?
1: Leave town come visit your parents for thanksgiving and stop asking questions
4: listen i don't like threats mister what or what should i call you murlord
1: <laughs> my name is not important and i'm not threatening you i'm giving you a good piece of advice people you love will suffer if you get involved this is bigger than you you have no idea what you're getting yourself into
4: you can't just say crazy things like that and expect me to just move on leave don't touch me leave What happened to Alice? If
1: you keep looking for trouble, you will find it, Emma.
4: Answer my question.
1: You are entering very dangerous territory. You will regret it.
4: When you heard me yelling, don't touch me, he had grabbed my arm. I still have a bruise to prove it. Merlord rushed out of the diner. I saw from my window that he got into a black Lincoln with no license plate. This encounter left me shaking. There was something truly terrifying not only in his expression, but his tone. He had not delivered friendly advice, but a hostile warning. John followed me in his car until I arrived home. I was still trembling when I went up to my room. Downstairs, my parents were watching TV. My mom asked if I was hungry, so I lied. I said I had eaten at the diner, but eating was the last thing on my mind after what had felt like hours of staring at the ceiling, unable to form one coherent thought, I heard my phone ring. Instinctively, I turned my recorder on. Hello?
2: Hey, Emma, it's Mark. What's happening? There's no tactful way to say this, but I thought you would like to know. Alice Crocker is dead.
4: From Massachusetts Public Radio, I'm Emma Kersey, and you've been listening to Mermaids of Murrow's
1: Cove. Mermaids of Murrow's Cove is hosted by Emma Kersey and produced by John Murphy at Massachusetts Public Radio. On the next episode of Mermaids of Murrow's Cove.
5: This is the first suspicious death in town in the last hundred years. I didn't kill
1: Alice Crocker. We are a quiet community and you have always been loud. The whole
0: sweet town doctor thing is an act.
1: That's coming up on the next episode. Like what you're hearing? Please rate and review us in iTunes. And tell your friends about Mermaids of Murrow's Cove.